Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I'm your host, Travis Tyler, and joining me again here today, this is part two of It Isn't Worth the Plates, where we're having a conversation about domestic abuse. I would encourage you to go back and listen to part one as an introduction with my uh, friend and cousin, Michelle Tyler, who runs a Facebook page where she seeks to help those that are struggling in domestic abuse situations overcome that with Christ and with community. Uh, enjoy the second half of this clip where we explore the marriage she recently came out of, the counsel that she would give those that are in relationships like this, and what God has taught her in the midst of this. So just walk us through the process here. You, I know you called me right before you married him. You were kind of struggling with, should I marry this person? Should I not marry this person? And we had a pretty long conversation about it, but you, you decided that go, I'm going to go ahead and marry him. But I, I think even going into the marriage like that weekend, there was perhaps some questioning as you were trying to decide, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? So just kind of talk us, talk to us about what was going on in your mind and your heart and your soul and kind of, you know, that whole situation and, and how that evolved. So to start out the marriage, I really believe that before you get into any relationship, after you um, have divorced, you need time to heal. You need time to go to counseling. So before I met my husband, I didn't date for two years. I went to counseling because it was my second marriage and um, I didn't want to mess it up. I did not want to bring into my second marriage the damages from my first marriage or the damages from my sins really. And it's, a wide variety of sins that you can bring into your next marriage. And so I went to counseling, I raised my boys so that they weren't damaged from their divorce, from my very first divorce, because from my very first divorce, um, their dad ended up being a heroin addict. And so I took those two years to make sure that my kids were okay and my kids were safe and that my kids mentally were where they needed to be. And finally, my, before I met my second husband, my oldest came to me and he said, mom, um, when are you going to start dating? And I said, never. I'm great. Life is great. Um, I don't want to start dating. Don't I, don't I seem happy? Like everything is great. And he said, yes, mom, but what if I need a dad? And I was like, wow, are, are you joking? <laughs> I don't, you were right though, because a woman cannot give. Some people think they can, but as a woman, I can try hard, but I cannot be the dad for my boys. I cannot give them what a man can give them. And so that's when I started my search was looking for a man that could give my boys wasn't what I wasn't able to give them. And that, and when I met my second husband, that is what I found is what someone that could show my boys how to fish and someone that could show my boys how to hunt and someone that she could show my boys discipline because he was so disciplined, like OCD type discipline. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so great for the boys. They need that. But there was this other side to him. And this other side was so controlling and so mean to me that he would, I had to tell him what I was doing, where I was going, if anyone talked to me. And this was gradual. When I first met this man, um, 
he would take me on these dates that would be in a field with hot tea. Like he was wooing me. He was courting me completely. Or when he went on a camping trip with the boys and myself. And if you've ever met me on a camping trip, I'll just show up with a griddle. That is all we need. I will flip bacon with my fingers because that's how unprepared I come to camping, but we camp and it's, it's uh, always got a funny story to it because I don't pack well for anything. And so this man went on a camping trip with us in a monsoon. It hadn't rained that entire summer. It was the dry summer in 2016. If, if you remember that summer, it hadn't rained all summer. It rained that one weekend that I went camping and he served my children like Mr. Mary Poppins. Now that, was a show because that wasn't him. He was a beautiful show. Like I think I fell in love with him that weekend. I was like, here is my Mr. Mary Poppins to my Mary Poppins. And so a lot of times people think when they see people that's surviving an abusive relationship and they they're and I've been asked this, we, well, he, um, why would you marry? No, someone told me the other day, have you ever been with anybody that's nice to you? Of course I have. My second husband was incredible to me. How do you think he trapped me? He didn't come in on our first date to be like, I hate your guts and you're ugly and you're messy and you're a pig and you're a, I don't know if I can say this word on here, but you're a whore. Like he didn't say those on the first date. He, he wooed me and he had me so infatuated with him. And then I remember him like gently adding in his abusive stuff. Well, Oh, you went to the gym. We're going to set up boundaries to where if you saw anyone that you dated at the gym, you're going to need to tell me. And, oh, you're, you're wearing yoga pants today? You're wearing yoga pants today? How about we change those? Because people are, and it was, a, and I would go, okay, well, I won't, I won't wear yoga pants anymore. But I didn't know it was a requirement. So the next time I wore yoga pants was a fight. Well, you told me you weren't wearing yoga pants. Well, I don't really know what else like you want me to wear jogging pants? Like I don't understand. And, and I understand the concept of yoga pants and I could relate to him and go, okay, I hear you on the yoga pants. And he would phrase it. His abuse was gradual. And so he was so great to my kids. It was an offset. And so to survive this man, I actually made up two parts to him. And I said, there was a, I, I can't say his real name. There was uh, his real name. And then I, his mean side had a, I called it Ted and Ted would be there two to three days a week. And if I could survive Ted, I would get the, uh, the good part of him. And that's how I survived getting to it. But I always knew like one time I called my aunt and I called you too, but I called um, Connie and I said, I was telling Connie about it. And she was like, Michelle, this is going to get worse. You can't marry him. The control and the jealousy will get worse. And in my head, I thought there's no way. There's absolutely no way this could get worse. So I can handle the jealousy and control because I want my kids to have the life to where they see a man that's so great. And so Mr. Mary Poppins, that's when we moved down here. And I don't know if you've seen sleeping with the enemy, the movie, it's an old movie and I can't remember. You'll have to watch it. Anybody that's been in a super abusive, jealous, controlling relationship, go back and watch that movie. It's sleeping with the enemy. And the man is so controlling. He brings Julia Roberts in and has her, he says, what's wrong here? And her towels weren't correct. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I watched it after my divorce. And cause I, I hadn't seen that movie in 20 years either. My um, second husband would bring me into the bathroom, almost like he, he had seen this movie and was trying to react it <laughs> 
or reenact it. And he would go, what do you see? He actually pulled me by the arm into the, not pulled me violently, just like led me, is a better way to say it, into the bathroom. And was like, what do you see wrong in here? And I was like, I don't know, standing there like Julia Roberts. And he was like, the shower doors weren't two inches on each side. And I actually responded back to him. I am so sorry. The shower doors aren't, aren't fixed correctly. I'll do that right next time. Or I would spend two hours because he had to have home cooked meals. It couldn't be anything processed two hours and recipes. And I am not a cooker. I can burn some toast. Actually burnt, I burnt hot dog wieners the other day. <laughs> and then I burnt the second round of hot dog wieners. And I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. We're eating burnt hot dogs tonight. So when I say I spent two hours in the kitchen, I mean, I spent two hours in the kitchen and then I washed the kitchen. I washed and everything had to be a certain way. Like the counters had to be a certain way and the, like everything had a way to it. And, um, I would take the rag and wad it and throw it in the bottom of the sink. Cause I had been in that kitchen for two or three hours. Like I was like the house was, you could eat off my floors. The house was spotless. The kitchen was spotless. The dinner was up. It was prepped for his next day's lunch. And he was like, you threw the rag in, in the sink. And I was like, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Or dinner was never excellent that day. If this, if I made chicken Alfredo, but homemade sauce chicken Alfredo, if I made chicken Alfredo, it, it was always the last time I made it was the excellent time, not this current time. It was never good enough that day. It would be different things like that. And so I called you before I married him. My sister didn't want me to marry him, but I didn't have the strength to not. I didn't have the strength to walk away from him because I thought he was going to be excellent for my kids. And I kept telling my sister and my best friend, Emily, he's going to be excellent for my kids. Like my kids need this. I can do this for my kids. I did not know that once we said I do, and we got back from the honeymoon, my kids were an extension of me. And they would be treated exactly like me. And it, he was so mentally exhausting to all of us. And he would text me every day that I left this house and there'd be something the kids had done wrong. They hadn't made their bed exactly perfect. Or he would sit and stare at Ben at the table. Ben's my littlest one. And Ben, I mean, he just can't help it. He, he, he could try to eat neat and he can't, he'll spill something. He, he would stare at him at the table and I, I obviously can handle, not handle, I don't know how well I was handling. I looked around, I stopped being able to take pictures. Like if, if you notice during the one, I couldn't have social media, but one social media I kept was Instagram. I only had female. If you start seeing your friends only have female followers, you know, there's some kind of abuse going on in the home. And I would stop taking pictures of myself. If you've ever seen a heroin addict, the gradual decline of a heroin addict, if you took my pictures, and I did this one day, I needed my second husband to see what he was doing to me. I put all of my pictures from right before I met him, the year before I met him, to when I met him. When I first met him, it still looked great. And you saw this decline in me. I actually looked like a drug addict. That's the mental, the mental and physical toll it took on me. It, it just continued. And, and that's the mental and physical toll it took on my boys. Because once we, once we said I do, and I was already in like, like I can handle myself 
And again, was I handling it? No, because you could see in the pictures I wasn't handling it. But when my boys started getting involved and they, I started watching what was happening to them and my eldest child at one point had uh, placed first, second or third in state wrestling. That's pretty incredible. Had won the state, um, had B's and A's and everything. He had a 4.7 GPA, was killing it. And the only thing that my second husband would, or the only thing that my husband would talk about was how he had failed the math exam, but he had failed the math exam and still made a B in the class. Hmm. And, and so I watched my oldest and all of my children in the class. Baylor stopped, um, Baylor stopped talking when the children, well, you know, my children, they're always outside and they're always in and out, in and out in this house with um, my husband here. When they came in from playing outside, they had to sit on the front carpet and they had to wait there until the, till the first person was done taking a shower. They weren't allowed to move in the house if they at all, anywhere in the house. They could not go past that carpet until they had showered. So they stopped going outside. There was only allowed one couch in the living room. And so that was so that only him and I could sit in there. My children stayed in their bedroom. There was no laughter in my, like we laugh, we laugh and we laugh all the time. There was no laughter in my house. It stopped once we said I do, it got worse. What, um, You've given us some really good markers and indicators here for picking up on the situation. What advice would you give a woman or a man? I have, believe it or not, in pastoral ministry, I have pastored men in domestic abuse situations. What advice would you give them right now if they're listening to this saying, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. I'm going through that right now, but I'm still in the middle of this marriage. What should I do, Michelle? Now there's two different. So you have my mom's marriage and you have my marriage. Both, both marriages or both types of domestic abuse are leading really to the same thing. They're both going to lead you to a, when they can't control you mentally, they're going to control you physically, but one's getting there faster. And my mom's got there faster. My mom's became a very quick, you're going to actually die situation. Whereas with my ex-husband, it's not going to get there that, that quick. So in my mom's type of situation and you feel it, you've got to women and men, you've got to start listening to your guts. And if your guts are screaming at you, I'm going to die. You, you walk out your front door. You can build again, even if you have to for a moment live in poverty because it, the other side, even if you have to live in a one bedroom house and you have three children, that that type of domestic that can't be fixed somebody's poison in your coffee you got to get out and you've got to make sure that someone knows and you've got to make sure that you get help and there are people there are even in the small town that i'm in there are um, people that will help you and they will help you hide and they will help you through it you cannot do it alone and then there is the domestic i stayed in mine after I sh- one, I shouldn't have married him. We've got to start listening. We've got to start. Why are we not listening to red flags? That is the biggest thing that I've been practicing. I've now officially divorced and I've now started dating. The moment I see a red first, I've went to counseling. I've been in a year's worth of counseling. You do not date until you went to counseling or you're going to marry the exact same man you just got out of a relationship with. Why? Because you're attracted to that and you don't realize it. So you go to counseling now that I'm counseling and I feel like I'm mentally ready to start stepping into dating uh, red flags, but you cannot repaint someone. 
you cannot change people. And so you have to watch those red flags. So the moment I see a red flag, I'm dating 40 year old men. I don't need to explain to him what he did wrong. If he doesn't know at 40 what he did wrong, I can't teach him any better. His brain's already developed. I I will text him or call him and go, I'm sorry, I can no longer see you. I think you're an incredible person. Have a great day. That's my, been my newest thing. Um, red flags, but uh, go back to being in the marriage right now. You are in the marriage and you are married to abusive relationship. Number two, not the one that I'm not talking about the one that my mom was married to the one that I was married to. I am so thankful. I spent time trying to not trying to change him. I spent some time in that marriage before I walked away, before it became a safety issue. The moment it became a safety issue in my in that marriage, I walked out. But before it became a safety issue, I spent time trying to say, hey, let's go to church. Hey, let's not do this. Hey, that that's not correct. That's I spent time speaking up for myself. And I think that it is okay to spend a little time making sure you try to get help from your church or you go to counseling and you do things like that. Because if not, you you're I'm not saying just to walk out instantly unless it's a safety issue and it's going to become a safety issue. That's what you have to realize. It's, it's going to become a safety issue because this type of person that's doing domestic abuse, I don't, maybe there are instances where domestic, there are instances where domestic, my mom and dad, when they were married, they fought physically. My dad married his next wife and lived. They were married 33 years, never hit her once. Hmm. So maybe it was the combination of the two of them. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how my dad. Maybe maybe he matured. You know what I mean? Maybe he grew. Maybe his wasn't a domestic. His probably wasn't a domestic mental issue. His was just those two would fight physically and they were kids together. So they were fighting like brothers and sisters and not like, I don't know. I don't know. But you can't change what's happening in your house. There's a point. I hate to say just to walk out because there needs to be an attempt of counseling of some sort. But when you see, and you are seeing the signs that you are living in a dangerous situation and this man is manipulating who you are and, and treating your children this way and treating you this way. And it's an effort that he's putting into doing this. You're not going to be able to change that Mm -hmm. and maybe attempt some counseling. But at that, at a certain point, you're going to have to, because it's divorcing and walking away from somebody that is a domestic abuse person is dangerous and it is going to get dangerous and it is going to get controlling. And if they have money, they are going to whip you around a courtroom. You're going to have to do research. You're going to have to prepare yourself before you walk away. And then what, but if it's a safety issue, it's not worth the mom's plates. Yeah, that's right. All right. Let me, uh, I guess we need to land the plane here on this episode. Let me just ask one closing question, you know, and reviewing back here, Specifically, you know, I know you're still, you're probably healing a lot, but still healing from your last marriage. Looking back on what's happened to your mother, I don't know if you remember this. Several years ago in Dallas, Texas, there was a church shooting and they had like this prayer service afterwards. And this preacher stood up and what are you going to say after children and women and men have been shot in a church on a Wednesday night? You know, it's like, what do you say? And this is a similar situation, right? What do you say when somebody's mother is murdered from domestic abuse, when your own aunt's murdered from domestic abuse? And all this preacher said when he stood up was, God wastes nothing. And then he sat down. Mm -hmm. 
And so we would have to conclude in a sovereign God and, and strong belief in him, Christ wastes nothing. And so there are things that no doubt you must have learned through this process. And what do you think God has taught you in going through these situations? I do not believe, and, and this is a survival technique, probably could be, it would be fun to debate it, that God does not point down and get someone a, um, when I hear people say, God got me a Lexus. Well, that is great because when God got you a Lexus, he forgot to point his finger down and say, my mama. And I know my mom begged God for her life. And so what God has taught me is that, and it started before my mom died. It's that we aren't listening. I think that when we think God is talking to us, it's supposed to be a man voice that comes in our head and goes, no, I need you to drink your tea. That is not it. And we are not listening to this voice in our head that is God speaking to us. And so the, a great example is two weeks before my mom died, I was talking to her and she was like, of course you're happy. Of course you can love God. You lost your weight. And I got off the phone with her. Of course you can love God. You lost all your weight. And I, I got off the phone with her. When I tell you I paced back and forth, God was screaming to me and he was like, call your mom back. And in my head, it's like two voices. And he was like, call your mom back right now and tell her the truth. And I was like, no, God, I'm not pushing this on her. And he was like, yes, you call her right now and you tell her. And I was like, actually talking to God in my head, like, no, I'm not calling my mom and telling her. And he was like, you, you better. <laughs> and I was like, so I get on my phone and I call my mom back and I was like, mom, that's not how it is. I did not lose weight, get happy. And then find God, I said, I found God and God filled in my hole, in my soul. And I was able through God to lose the weight. I'm not happy because I lost weight. Mm -hmm. I'm happy and joyful because I found God. And, and then my sister said wow. that next weekend, she called him she died on a Friday. She was, it was Sunday. She was going to go to church that she, that that had spoke to her. And so up to that point, my mom hadn't been going to church, but that moment spoke to her in enough that it was like God was, God knew she was about to die. He needed her to come to him. And so if I hadn't listened to God and I've learned through this entire thing, we need to start having conversations with God. How I pray is I open my, I flip my Bible open and I read God's word and God talks to me through those words. Like there's no, I've, uh, yesterday I flipped my Bible open wherever I stick my finger in that Bible. God has something to tell me and I need to hear him and I need to have conversations in you're sitting in your car. You're about to leave your husband. You need to say this, God, I am about to step out on faith. And I, I like at one point in my life, I don't, I didn't have a job and I was about to, I was about to divorce and I needed to leave my job. My prayer was it's all you. And I remember the biggest point is I had, I think that my children have done well through everything like murders, heroin, addict father, abusive stepfather, because I have never told them something I don't get. As parents, we have to stop false promising. We have to stop saying we're going to do something, even if it's go to Walmart, if we're not going to get in the car to go to Walmart, it's best to look at them and not say anything. And during this divorce, my husband had made us homeless and that was devastating to my kids. At one point I said, guys, it's, it's bedtime. We were sitting in the hotel and I was like, guys, it's bedtime. And my oldest son said, do you really have a bedtime if you're homeless? And I was like, true that. And so I had looked at my boys and did like the craziest foolish thing. And I said, we're going to get the house back. We're not going to be homeless after this eight days. And 
I was almost wrong. And so I'm sitting in the car and I'm going to pick up my um, youngest kid and I'm going to have to tell them, I'm sorry, I was wrong. We're going to have to stay in a hotel longer. We have lost the house and we're still homeless. And I'm sitting there crying and begging to God as I'm going down the street. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I've lied lied to my kids and these kids have survived so much. I'm going to have to tell them we're still homeless. And those are one of the, you can't just cry to God at your lowest. Like you, yesterday wasn't my lowest and I'm still crying to God. God, you know, help me through my kids' hearts and things like that. So, but at this lowest, I was on the way to pick up my youngest. And I was like, you're going to have to give me the words to give to these kids to tell them that they're going to be, they're still homeless. We're still homeless guys. I had, I can't, I can't, I lost. And, um, at those moments, the other voice in your head is God. And I trust me, I hadn't slept for six days or seven days, however many days. So my friends have started noticing I probably was a little crazy. There's no way I could have called them and told them God just spoke to me in a car because God spoke to me in that car. And he said, you are not this is what you're going to do. And it's, it sounds crazy to even say it out loud. God actually sat and the way to pick my kid up was telling them that we had not, we were not getting our home back. And God was like, no, this is exactly how you're going to get your home back. And in my head was this whole dialogue of God telling me these steps to, to the exact steps to take to get my home back. And I was like, I remember getting out of the car at my kid's school and I called my friend, Melissa and my sister, Angela. And I knew I could not say to them, God told me, how I'd get my home back. Cause I knew that someone would have pulled up. They would have had the cops come get me. She's lost her mind. <laughs> God is now talking to her in a parking lot. This woman needs to go get some sleep. And so I said, my brain told me how to get, how to get my house back. This is, this is what I'm, I can't tell you what I'm doing. Cause at that, when you are about to divorce your husband, you are going to feel crazy. You are going to feel like someone's tapping your phone. They may be, mm-hmm. I, there is an audio that was played in court that the only way that audio could have been played was because I was being recorded. He edited it to make it sound like I said something else, but that's a different story. Very well played. It was great of him. <laughs> um, so deep sarcasm. And so you may be recorded. And so I said to them over this phone, I said, I can't tell you what the plan is because this phone may be tapped and that sounds crazy too. You're going to feel crazy. You may be crazy for a minute but you're going to have to listen to God. And that's what I've learned is that voice in my head. It sounded like my voice. And so you're going to have to hear him and you're going to have to rely on him. And because at certain moments, everybody can't be around you all the time. He is the one holding you on the, um, um, when I I would just lay in the bathroom in the hotel when we were homeless and I just felt like God was in the bathroom with me holding me because no one else could be there. And so you're going to have to trust in that and trust in that process. And the best advice is that survival technique that you were using at that moment, you can't stay there. And so you're going to, it is not your fault. What has happened to you at all? None of it is your fault. Even if you saw every single red flag and you still married him, it is not your fault that another human being is treating you like that. It is your responsibility to heal. So you can't stay in that survival mode. And so just hearing God and listening to him. So, yeah, it sounds to me like you learned a lesson here on relying on the Lord, uh, going to him into the word and then really uh, taking that truth and feeling the presence of the Holy spirit in your life was critical to getting you through that. I like what you said too, at the end there, it's not your fault. I, I think that 
one of the books, now I'm, I told you this when we were preparing for this episode, as a pastor, I've not, I've never lived in a uh, home that has had domestic violence. You know, my, my father was a, you know, pretty gentle man, you know what I mean? And, and didn't, we didn't deal with that in my home and my mother, uh, you know, she didn't beat him up too much, just a little bit. <laughs> my mom was great. She was loving. They always exhibited love for one another. Uh, but I've had to deal with a lot of situations like this. One book that I would recommend, particularly for pastors uh, and, and people in leadership is, I don't know if you've heard of this book or not. It's by Dr. George K. Simmon. He has a PhD and it's called In Sheep's Clothing, Understanding and Dealing with Manipulative People. Because in a domestic abuse situation, you have power tactics. And most people, uh, like you said early on in the episode, they don't come out and say, hey, I'm a wolf. Go ahead and marry me, right? They're going to wear a sheep's mask and they're going to buy like a sheep and frolic like a sheep. But there are really issues that are there. It's just like people who lead cults. I mean, they don't come out and say, hey, we grotesquely preach heresy, right? They don't come out with a sign like that in the first. They are very loving at first and, you know, all that. So uh, I would recommend that. And uh, also in the show notes today, I've added an article that I think is helpful along with the uh, hotline for domestic abuse. And I hope that you will uh, reach out to those. Michelle, thank you for being with us, to being with me here today and uh, very helpful here. And uh, any any closing things you'd like to say as we close out the episode? Thank you for having me. And um, he's put a link to my Facebook on there if you ever need help or someone to talk to. If you're listening to this and if you will message me, I will get I will get instantly get back in touch with you. I'll even give you my number. It's um, there's going to be moments. They're going to be dark. It's it probably is going to get really dark really quick. And you're going to need somebody just to hear it and to go, it's okay. There's light on the other side, even though it doesn't feel like it at this moment. And I can be that person for you to say, I understand. I get it. You're not crazy. It's going to be okay. And I can help. And you need a community around you. I really didn't have time to get into this that much, but um, I would recommend if you have a good pastor and that's right. the big word, if you have a good pastor, I'm going to assume you do talk to your pastor about it. And if he loves the Lord and loves his flock, he will listen. And there is a community of believers that can help you in this process as well. You know, you may be embarrassed. I think two of the biggest tools that a manipulator uses are embarrassment and guilt. And you're, you just got to realize that pastors talk a, a lot to a lot of people and they hold the keys to a lot of different people's lives uh, if they're good pastors. And so you're just going to have to step out on a limb if you're nervous about that and reach out to your pastor if you really believe he, he's a man of God. So, And I think you will find help there. All right. Thank you. And uh, maybe we'll have you back for another episode on parenting. I don't know. We get crazy with this. <laughs> and uh, and I uh, hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, thanks again. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.